If you're here and you're new to Orangewood, you're thinking, what in the world's going on in this place? Let me tell you, we're studying uh, God's Word through Ecclesiastes, an incredible book uh, that God has given to us, very authentic, very real. And we've been trying to think, what song would summarize the passage that we are looking at? And, well, this morning, what does it look like for us to live like we were dying? Live like you're dying, because if that was the certainty, and again, statistics say it's a certainty for all of us, right? But if it was really certain, or let's say if it was imminent, if it was imminent and just in front of you, uh, when you know the ending, it does an amazing thing to your current state of being. Uh, when you know that reality, it really helps you crystallize what are your values? What are your priorities? If, if time is of the essence, if there's an urgency, if there's a, a live like you're dying, the reality is, is your, your values will come to the surface. You'll say, that's what I'm living for. Forget this other stuff. And so what a really cool message for us to be reminded of. Because it's not just a McGraw song. It really comes out of the Bible. Uh, Psalm 90, uh, 12 says it this way. Psalm 90 is a, a psalm that reminds us of the brevity of life. It reminds us that in many ways our days are few. And so here's the conclusion from God's word. It says this, so teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. In other words, you know, to know, to live like you're dying. Teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Did you hear that? You see, the reality is, is if we live in a certain way, knowing uh, that we only have a certain amount of days, it will bring wisdom to our heart. It will help us to learn and to know how to live life. And really, what is important? What is certain? What is true? Well, the book of Ecclesiastes, if we've made our way along Ecclesiastes, it really is a look at life under the sun. It'll examine life under the sun, which is another way of saying, what is life like in our world apart from God? What is it like to, to try to pursue life without him? And it comes up this, it says, well, nothing is certain. That basically says that everything is vanity. Everything under the sun, every pursuit, everything that we could live for apart from God, it's, it's meaningless, it's a vapor, vanity of vanities. The book of Ecclesiastes says to us that, listen, there's, there's nothing new under the sun, uh, without God, every day feels like Groundhog Day over and over again. Nothing is gained. There's no take-home pay. The world can't really give us something that we really, really, truly long for, the life we long for. There's no, there's no take-home pay without God. And not only that, there's nothing remembered. All we work for, it just seems to be a vapor. Well, this morning, the, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes is going to ask us two questions, and and really, these are two ultimate questions. These aren't questions just for them way back then. I mean, these are questions for you right now. And these are questions, and the answers to these questions truly will define the way you live. Question number one is this. What is good for man? What's the good life? What are we to do that's good? What, what is good, and how do we know? The second question is this. What is to become of man? What's to come in the future, what's next? And if we don't have answers for those, what we're aimless. Uh, we, we don't know how to live like we're dying. We don't know how to live because we have no values to hold on to. In the midst of those two questions, this writer of Ecclesiastes, in this passage we're going to look at, he's going to say this to us. Consider the works of God. 
Basically, if you want to know what good is, consider God. Because only in him will you know what really good is. If you want to know what's to come, consider the works of God. Because without him, you're completely lost. And that's where we find ourselves, in a world that's completely lost. So turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week, Ecclesiastes 6 and verse 10. Now, this is normally the part of my sermon where I say something like this. Hey, let's be mindful, although this was written a long time ago, under different circumstances, this is God's word, and it's, it's holy and errant. And the point is that this is for you, no matter who you are and no matter where you've been. The reality is, is that God wants to speak to you today. Well, then I would read the text and then I would pray. I would ask God to, to bless the preaching of his word. Well, this morning I'm going to change things around a little bit. I'm going to start with prayer. And I'm going to pray first and then read the text because as we read the text, you're going to see it's one of the most confusing texts you've ever heard. It's one of those crazy Ecclesiastes, what are they saying? And so I'm going to attempt to, to navigate as we go along. So I'm going to add a little commentary uh, as I read. And to do that, I'm going to ask God's blessing on that. that. You know, that's scary to add commentary as we read God's word. So I'm going to ask him to come and use that which is real and take away that which is wrong. Okay, so will you pray with me? Let's pray together. Father God, we come to your holy and errant word, and we first of all begin by saying thank you for giving it to us. And I just love the fact that your Bible is so rich with, with a variety of ways to examine truth and who you are. And we thank you for a book of Ecclesiastes that's bold enough that seems to take risk and ask some of life's ultimate questions. It asks the question, what's life like without you? And God, the only way we can navigate and understand this is if you are the one who teaches. And you teach in a powerful way, which only you can through a broken sinner like me. So God, would you please give us the ears to hear your voice? And would you give us the minds to understand your word? And would you give us, by your grace, the hearts to embrace your love and your truth? And God, would you be with us? Come and join us in, in such a powerful way that, that as we walk out of here, you would enable our feet to walk in a manner worthy of the name above every name, the name of Jesus. Now, Jesus, the things that I say that are wrong are just my opinion. Would those things fall away and be forgotten quickly? But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like Father, your Son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Let's hear God's word together. Ecclesiastes 6, starting in verse 10. Whatever has come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is. And that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. Although the word God is not used here, we're immediately pulled in to realize that, that there is one who's beyond us. There's one who is above us. There's one who is stronger than us, who's, who's named all things and who already knows all that's come to be. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? It's basically saying this, is that God is God. And God is strong and mighty and big. And if you try to argue with him, it's, it's vanity. It's the more words don't work. But here's the questions. For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? And the second question, who can tell what man will be after man 
under the sun? Two incredible questions. What's good and what's coming next? So next we're going to find verses 1 through 13 are going to be more like Proverbs. And let me tell you, this is going to be more like the rejects from Hallmark cards. All right? These would be like the ones that didn't make Hallmark, and there's a reason why. But also, let me encourage you to think back. If you've been journeying with us, you remember that in Ecclesiastes 3, it tells us that there's a time under the sun for everything. And this is kind of an explanation of there really is a time under the sun for everything. But let's read these, what seemingly could be confusing, but really beautiful uh, Proverbs. It says this, a good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of birth, and the, uh, the day of death, than the day of birth. Interesting here is name and ointment in the Hebrew sound alike. Of course, a name is better than ointment. But it also says the day of death better than birth. It really is telling us we will learn so much more thinking of death than we did when we began in birth. It is better to go into the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind. And the living will lay it to heart. Basically saying, if if you live in a world that's just all a party, you've missed reality. And there's something, as Jesus would say in the Beatitudes, can you hear them? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who long for more. I mean, blessed are those who long for a kingdom to come. Sorrow is better than laughter, it says, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. What? The heart of wisdom is in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth or of, of, of joy and laughter. It's interesting. It says that, that our hearts will grow wise as we realize that we live in a broken world and even through our mourning. It's better for a man to hear a rebuke of the wise than to hear the songs of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This is also vanity. It's meaningless. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness. And a bribe can corrupt the heart. But better is the end of a thing than its beginning. Can you hear that song? And the patient, the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Let's stop there for a minute. It's basically saying those of you who are patient in spirit, those of you who are longing for more to come, those of you who are longing for God's fullness to, to show up in his kingdom are better than those of you who are prideful thinking you've arrived. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. And man, that hits me right here in the heart. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. I think of Billy Joel's song. The good old days weren't always good, and tomorrow isn't as bad as it seems. Basically, living your life in the rearview mirror, looking at nostalgia, thinking that those were the good old days, is not living. God's not calling you to that. As a Christian, we always look forward to what God has for us. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. Wisdom is good. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. Both money and wisdom are good, but they have their limits. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. But then it says this, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? And again, we think back to Ecclesiastes 1. He's already said, what is crooked cannot be made straight. But now it's saying God has made things crooked. This is not a moral statement that God is crooked in any ways. It's saying what God has done, no one can untangle. 
And it's probably thinking of things like Psalm 146.9. It says, when God looks at man's evil ways, he thwarts them. He twists them so that they cannot be fixed apart from him. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider God has made the one prosperity as well as the other adversity. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. And this, the Hebrew here is more like man can't judge without God what to make of things. We're so dependent on him. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for the honesty of this word. Shine your light into the text and into our hearts so they make sense for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you want to follow along with me in your bulletins and outline, it's there. Really, the outline this morning is going to be a little bit different. We're going to look at the two questions that were asked, and we're going to answer them and answer them with the, the thought that is given to us in the text, consider God. And the first question that is asked of us is this, who knows what is good? I mean, who knows what is good apart from God with no absolute values? Who knows what is good? Listen to what it says in the text in verse 12. For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, while he passes like a shadow. This is an absolute wonderful description of who man and woman is as fallen creatures. Those who have been separated by God from sin. Uh, Those who have uh, experienced what, what happened with the fall. We lost the ability to know what is good. Well, let's go back to the beginning of the story. Let's pick up the Bible story so we can understand this in a greater way. God is the one who created everything. Did you hear how he created everything? He spoke. That's how powerful he is. And when God created all things, he looked around and he said, it's good. What God creates is good. And what God rules and reigns is good. And of all the things he created, he created something especially good. You and me. Of all creations, of all creation, he has made you and me in his image. We reflect who he is. He's created you to know and love him. He's created you and me to, to sing his praises and to bring him glory. I mean, we are the masterpiece, if you will, of creation. It's incredible. Did you see the moon last night? Well, wasn't it amazing? I had the privilege of just walking, and uh, uh, typically I do it on a Saturday night. I'll grab my notes, and I'll go out, and I'll walk. And, and I'm telling you, there's a few times I just had to stop and say, oh, my goodness. Look at the moon. Look at the stars. Richard, uh, Andrew Peterson, a Christian songwriter, says, sings a song that says, don't you want to thank someone? When you see something like that, don't you want to thank somebody? And I do, and I want to say, God, I thank you. I thank you for the heavens and the earth. I thank you for the incredible creation that you created. It's absolutely breathtaking tonight. And they tell your story, but they're nothing like you. That moon, that's nothing like you and me. We were, we were created in his image to know and love him. But something got in the way. It's, it's our sin. It's our rebellion. The story of the Bible is this, is although God created us for himself, that, that we were deceived by Satan, that he, he came and tempted us, and God created everything good. He says we can enjoy all of the garden, but there's one thing that we cannot enjoy, and that is this forbidden fruit, this tree of knowledge of good and evil. Kind of interesting. And so we were deceived by Satan. says, now listen, if you take this fruit, if you taste this, you'll be like God, and you'll be able to know what's really good, and you'll be able to know what's really evil. 
And it said that Eve looked, and it looked good. She saw that it was good. It was going to taste good. And she realized, wow, if I do this, I'm going to know. I'm going to be like God. And so amazingly being deceived, we were told if we rebel against God, we will know like God. And the result is we've lost the ability to know what's good. I mean, we, we have been separated from God. We've lost that ability to know what's good. We live in a world right now that, that really doesn't know. What, what, what's the question that the world is asking, or at least our country is asking right now about good? You see it every time you go to the Publix, every time you go through the checkout line. Is it good for Bruce Jenner to be a man or a woman? And I'm not trying to pick on him, and I'm not just trying to be a joke of his life. I think he's got some serious confusion. But the reality is, look at our life. I mean, here you have a decorated athlete who, who's got this crazy, bizarre life, and he doesn't know. I mean, he doesn't know, should I be a woman? Should I be a man? Who am I attracted to? Who am I not attracted to? Who am I? Who am I apart from God? Listen, here's the reality. You will never know who you are apart from God. You will never know. Who knows? Who knows what is good? What's going on in Baltimore? I mean, who, is that good stuff? I mean, should we stand up and, and when we feel that there's injustice? I mean, who knows what's good? Should we burn down a CVS in our community that takes care of the needs and the prescriptions of those in the community? And again, I'm not trying to even stand up here and pass moral judgment. I'm trying to show you that there will be a debate what is good even in our own country when it comes to things like Baltimore. On Saturday mornings, I make my way down Maitland Avenue and I see those who are standing up for life, who are picketing an abortion clinic. And we want to ask the question, well, who, what is good? What is good for a baby in the womb? Is it good for a woman to choose? Is it good for a woman to have the right of her own body? Is it good that, that she is able to make decisions of her life? Or is it good that life is precious and that we need to protect that? We live in a society that is so confused of what is good. Why? Remember what I said. You and I were made in God's image. We were made for him, but we've been separated from him. The image bearer has been separated from the image, and guess what happens? Confusion reigns. It's like trying to put together a puzzle without the picture. How many of you people have the problem of liking puzzles? Don't raise your hand. It's awesome. You know, maybe around Thanksgiving time, we do one. You take the puzzle, you pour it out on the, uh, on the table, you spread out all the pieces, and then what's the first thing you do before you put any of the pieces together for the puzzle? You look at the picture. You look to see well, what, what, what is it supposed to be? What is the image? What is the image that we are trying to put together? And think of that in our lives. We were made in the image of God. And if you take away the picture, you take away the image, and all we're left is with broken pieces, we have no idea what is good. We have no idea how to put the puzzle back together in and of ourselves. It makes sense, doesn't it? And that's the reality. You see, was man was created for God, and without him, we are absolutely lost. You know, the amazing thing about this, the fall of man, not only were we separated from God, but we lost ourselves. We lost who we were truly created to be. Here's the point. You don't know who you are apart from the image because you're an image bearer. You don't know who you are apart from God. And you can't be who we're called to be apart from becoming like God. And so with that, it says this. We don't know what is good, so consider the work of God. And specifically here, I'm going to say, consider the work of God in creation. 
This passage makes it clear there's one who is God who's above us, beyond us, and stronger than us. And consider his works. He and he alone is the creator. And as God is creator, are you ready for this? He and he alone has the ability to label what is good. And he looks at his creation and he says it is good. We see in this God is sovereign. He's, he's reigning and ruling over all things. And it tells us is that we cannot discern what is good apart from God. You'll never know it. The world will never know it. We'll endlessly argue what is the good life apart from God. Why? Because he is God and we were created in his image. We can't alter what God has done. It says in verse 13, what God has made crooked, we, we can't alter it. I and mean, he's too strong. And not only can we not discern what is good, we can't alter what God has done. In verse 14, we can't even judge it. I mean, apart from God, we don't know. So what is this telling us? What is this telling us about our lives? It's very important. Trust God. Trust God in prosperity and adversity. It's basically saying that the only way that you and I could know who we are, the only way we could know good, the only way we can have life and life abundantly is being connected to God by his grace, through faith in his son. That's the whole point of this book. It's the whole point of the Bible. As a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes ends as Proverbs begins. It says this, the fear of God is the beginning of all knowledge. The fear of God is what it's all about. And what that means is a relationship acknowledging that he is God. He is good. He is in control. Ecclesiastes 12 says it this way. The end of the matter, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Be connected to God, are you? Are you connected to the one who created you? Are you connected by his grace through faith through the work of his son? Be connected to God. Until you are, we don't know what's good. And not only that, walk by faith. Walk by faith. Listen, not just in the prosperity and be joyful. That's the easy part. But in the adversity, in the darkness, to walk by faith, to live for his glory. Let's again hit pause and say, how is it with you? Because I know with you it's like me. There's going to be darkness that rolls in. There's going to be difficulties and trials that roll in. Are we going to go through the hard times of adversity and look at our adversity and let the adversity define who our God is? Are we going to look at our adversity and say, well, you can't be good or you can't be in control? Or are we going to do what God's word says to us, that we walk by faith, trusting the one who is stronger than us, who loves us? And by the way, he loves you enough to send his own son to rescue you. Will he not freely give you all things? There's no adversity that you'll ever walk alone. There's no trial that you'll ever be by yourself. It may seem that way, but can you trust him and walk by faith? That is our calling. Consider the work of God. You don't know what's good? Look to God. All right, secondly, who knows what is to come? Just like if there's no absolute value, we don't know how to live. There's, there's no absolute certainty pulling us forward. If we're going nowhere, if history has no point, if our life has no point, we'll be lost. So what do we do? As Christians, we begin with the end in mind. Better is death than birth. Better is the ending than the beginning. We begin with the end in mind. Anybody thinking of Stephen Covey's uh, seven habits of a highly effective person? This is what he says. You want to begin with the end in mind. And that is Christians that helps us. Let's make it practical. You're going to go on a trip. And you're going to spend two weeks this summer on a vacation. 
What's the first thing you want to know? Well, where am I going? And what will I be doing? And what, what events will we be participating in? Is it going to be warm? Is it going to be cold? Is it going to be active? Is it going to be restful? What am I doing? If you load up your car, throw things in, say, okay, kids, we're going on vacation. Where are we going? I have no idea. Well, do we have what's necessary? I have no idea. Because we don't know where we're going. We're just, we're just going to drive and go. Well, we don't have to live our wet lives that way. God tells us we know where we're going. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine challenged me to uh, run a half marathon. And he said, if, he, if I'd run the half marathon, I, I, I bartered with him. I said, okay, if you're going to have this mass of humanity, nearly 300 pounds, run 13.1 miles, you owe me 13 times in church. And we agreed on it. And by the way, he's at 12 and holding. I'm kind of ticked about it, but you're not here, are you, Dan? All right, I don't think so. Darn. But for me to get ready to run 13.1 miles, I did not wake up and say, if the goal is begin with the end in mind, I don't want to have a heart attack on mile four. I better get ready for it, right? And so I better start running and exercising and maybe eating a little bit less blue cheese. And so, so for me, it was starting by running for five minutes, walking for one, going to six, seven, eight, and nine. Because you begin with the end in mind is I want to be able to complete this race and still have a life after it. How about for things like education, schooling, and college? If God's calling you to be a dentist, you got to begin with that in mind and get the right schooling or a teacher or wherever you are. Begin with your end in mind. And this is what that the song, Live Like You're Dying. Begin with the end in mind. What is it going to be like for us? Why is it better in death than in birth? What does that really teach us? Why is it more blessed to mourn? If there's nothing in front of us that doesn't shape our life now, well, let's consider the work of God. Consider the work of God in creation. This is considering the work of God in recreation. Because just as God and God alone can tell us how to live, you ready for this? God and God alone has shown us the future. They ask the question, who knows what's going to become of us? The Bible answers that. Jesus answers that. The Bible tells us that God in Christ Jesus, the Father through the Son, was reconciling the whole world to himself. This is what it means. He was reconciling you and me to himself through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. A holy life, a atoning death, and a resurrection brought reconciliation. That those like you and me who by nature are children of wrath have now been ushered in and made co-heirs with Christ. Unbelievable how he reconciled us to himself. And now he blesses us in the heavenly realms with all the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. But God did more than just reconcile you and me. It says he's reconciling the whole world through Jesus. Incredible. He's making everything new. And he says, now because of the reality of Christ Jesus for the Christian, you ready for this? For the Christian, death is gain. Now what Paul will say, for me to live is Christ in Philippians 1.21, but to die is gain. And the kingdom of God that has come will fully come. We know what the end of the story is. Jesus ruling and reigning in the new heavens and new earth. Let's make it abundantly clear. The Bible wants you to live your life knowing what is good when you're connected to God. The Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ wants you to live your life knowing for certain what you will become when your heart stops beating or Jesus returns. Let's look at that. 
Certain of what will become of us and what will become of our world. We are certain that what will become of us, we will be like Jesus. I want you to turn to 1 John 3, chapter 1. One of the most glorious sections of Holy Writ. Hear these amazingly gracious, beautiful words. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us or given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Listen to this. Beloved, we are God's children now. So the reality is, if by God's grace, through faith in what Jesus has done for us, this very nanosecond, God sees you and defines you as a child of the living God in Christ Jesus. Such good news. And what will be has not yet appeared. But hear this. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him in a resurrected body in glory because we shall see him as he is. What will come of all of us who are God's children, not just some of us, but all of us, we will be like Jesus. That's what's coming. And it'll be glorious. And so therefore, in verse 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The point is this, as we see the ending, as we know that where we're heading is home, and where we're heading is become like Christ, now he tells us how to live. So Ephesians 5, 1 says it this way. Be imitators of Christ. Because that's who you're going to become like. And that's who you represent. He's your king now. Be imitators of Christ. Why? Because you are dearly loved children. How do you live your lives? How do you know what's good? He has shown you what is good. He's connected you to God. And not only that, he's shown you what the future will be like. You will be like him. He also shows us what the world will be like. The Bible says that there's a new heavens and a new earth is coming. That that Jesus' kingdom will come in its fullness. We see that clearly in, in Revelation 21. We also see that in 2 Peter chapter 3. It's a very interesting passage on the new heavens and the new earth. I don't have time to read it, but here's what I want to tell you. In light of the reality that we know the ending, and the ending is is that God is going to, in its fullness, bring the kingdom and the reign and rule of Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. In light of that, it tells us this. So therefore, what life should we live? Live a holy life and speed up the day of the Lord, it says, in 2 Peter 3, I believe, 12. Here's the point. Jesus' kingdom has come. And it will come in its fullness. And now we have the privilege of saying, let my life seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto me. Let my life now pray, first and foremost, that the kingdom will come. The will, God's will will be done. Where in Baltimore? Where in Sanford? Where in your living room? Where on earth as it is in heaven? That the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of Jesus is so glorious and beautiful and it will come in its fullness that the scripture tells us to sell everything we have to make sure we have it. To live our lives for him. It's basically this. How do we live now? Connected to God so we know it's good. How do we live now for the king and his kingdom, for his glory? Because we know that that's what is to come. We're going to go to the table, the communion table. And maybe the song that should be echoing in our mind is live like you are dying. But a better song for communion is not live like you are dying. It's 
basically this, this meal is singing a song to us. It says this, live like one died for you, because he did. Live your life because one became your sin. One robes you in righteousness. Live your life now for his glory and good because he died and rose again for us. Be free. Your sins are going to be remembered no more. They were nailed to the cross. You're beloved. You're going to be identified not by your foibles and sin. You're going to be identified by Christ's righteousness. Be free. You're a child of God now. He's not changing his mind about you. Be alive. Jesus came to come and give you life and life abundantly now. Not all of it, not fully. The kingdom still has got to come. Be fruitful. Live for his kingdom. Knowing that what we need to seek first and pray first is the glory of God and the kingdom of his son. Jesus gave us a meal knowing that we'll be forgetting this, knowing how prone we are to wander. He wanted us to tangibly touch and to even taste his grace and glory. He wanted us to remember the good that he has sacrificed for us. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember the cost of reconnecting you to the Father. But he also says this, do this as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. He's saying this, we have a future. We have a home. The kingdom will come. Don't be discouraged. His hand is upon us and he will lead us home for his glory. And now we're to live our lives to tell his story. Let us pray. Father, in a world upside down that does not have the power and the ability to know what is good, Jesus came. And Jesus came and he stepped into our madness. He stepped into our brokenness. He stepped into our arrogance. He stepped into a world that thought it had it all and showed us how to live and showed us how to love and showed us beauty and righteousness like this world has never, ever seen. It was so beautiful and so glorious that sinful man had to kill it. But it was all part of your plan, Father. It was all part of your plan for those that you made in your image who lost the ability to know what is good for you to restore it. And the only way we know it's good is that we see Jesus who lived the perfect life. The only way we know it's good is because we see Jesus dying the atoning death. The only way that we know what is good is we see Jesus in his empty tomb defeating all of your and our enemies, including death and sin. And now not only can we know what is good in Christ Jesus, we have a future to live for. We know it's to come, the new heavens, the new earth. And one day we will see Jesus, those of us who are his, and we will be like him. And you use this meal to prepare us for that. You use this meal for those of us who are yours to, to remind us of the love and the sacrifice, to lead us home and to help us grow in likeness. So come and feed your people. Come and bless our tithes and our offerings and prepare our hearts to give our whole lives to you. We pray in Christ's name, amen.